Welcome back into the Card Chronicle podcast. It is Tuesday, November 2nd. Mike Rutherford here in Louisville, Kentucky. Danny Sennard in Columbus, Ohio. And we've been out of uh, out of commission here for the last couple of weeks as we've been waiting the arrival of baby Rutherford number two. And he's here. And I yeah. am. <laughs> I mean, I'm on Mars right now. This could be an interesting podcast. Who knows what I'm going to say. I'm going to try to stay awake for the entire thing. But before we get into the experience of uh, of John coming into the world and all my mishaps as a husband in the hospital, want to say hi to Dan. Want to say uh, how's he been doing? What's, what's the latest with Snark Fam? Did you guys have a good Halloween? Yeah, we got through Halloween. Um, nothing, no hiccups or anything. Kids did well. Um, I know that the Sennard household is uh, very excited that the Rutherfords are now a family of four. So congratulations to the uh, father and mother. I, I, I know Mary's doing well, so that's great. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's been a ton that's happened since since we last talked. But um, obviously, the the Prince Chronicle being born is, <laughs> is topic number one. Fucking Prince Chronicle. I, I love you put that out there. I was like, please don't. Nobody run with this. Don't let this happen. <laughs> don't let this poor kid come into the world like this. Um, yeah. So if you haven't seen on, on social media or wherever, John Thomas is the name. It, like I predicted the entire time. I think I told you weeks and weeks in advance. I knew this was going to happen. Mary wouldn't commit to the name. She wasn't 100% sure. I'm like, we're going to get lazy, and we're just going to go with what we had for the boy name uh, if Virginia had been a boy. That's exactly what happened. So uh, I think the name's good. We're happy with it. He's doing great. We took him to the doctor this morning. He's uh, almost back up to his birth weight. He's fucking huge, uh, 7 pounds, 15 ounces. Uh, his hands and his feet are enormous. Um, he's a true Rutherford, head size, 96 percentile. So we knew that was going to happen. Poor Mary. Um, but he's uh, he's doing great. He's been more chill in the first week than Virginia was, which is hopefully a step in the right direction. He's definitely more of a mama's boy, Does wants nothing to do with me. Virginia, even in these like early stages, what it's all about – you know, feeding and, and being close to mom and all this stuff. She would, she liked me more in that first week than John has so far, but I'm not going to hold it against him. It's okay. But, uh, the whole experience of the hospital, I'll, this will serve as my mic in the mud for this week because the first go round a couple of years ago with Virginia, I felt like I was, I was totally on top of things. So I was like Captain Dad, very good husband on top of my game. I was not. Um, I, I was fine when the, when the big show started. I think I, I held up my own end of the bargain there. But for starters, we knew we knew we were supposed to go in on Wednesday morning. But we'd also heard that there'd been like a huge backup with available beds at the hospital, and people were waiting like days to get in after their scheduled inducement. So we were told to call at 5 a.m. We assumed that there wasn't going to be a bed for at least several hours. So. Like I'm, I'm ready to go at 5 a.m. But I'm thinking, man, I've probably got until at least the afternoon, and maybe night. It may not even be until tomorrow. So we call at five. They're like, call back. We're like, this figures. We get a call at 5:30. They're like, can you be here by seven? And we're like, holy shit, yes, absolutely. I, I check my bag, and I realize that the bag that I packed a couple weeks ago was packed when it was like 85 degrees outside. I've got nothing but like shorts and t-shirts and it's, it's like 34 degrees at this point in time. So I'm scrambling to throw like some pants and some hoodies and, and get some stuff together. We call the babysitter, Angie. She comes over. She's, she's taking care of Virginia when we head out. We're, you know, she, Virginia's freaking out. She's not happy. She doesn't know what's going on. So we're trying to get away as quickly as possible. We have to move cars. I'm throwing all of our bags in the back seat and I put my giant, um, like thermos of coffee on top of the car. And I'm throwing bags in the back seat. I'm bending down. Coffee slides off the top of the car, just drenches me, just drenches <laughs> me. It's all over the car. It gets partially on the bags. I was wearing my my Louisville Hoops home field apparel uh, hoodie. I'm supporting the brand. That was going to be my my delivery room outfit. It was the first thing my my new son was going to see me in. Soaked in coffee. Done. So oh, I've got to sprint. I've got to sprint back in. I throw on a different hoodie. Change that up. Get back in the car. We make it to the hospital. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm like just completely just on Mars. I, I'm just, I'm not there. I'm too tired. I'm not focused. I've been, uh, it's just been a bad week. 
I walked into the wrong room, both on the delivery floor and the post-delivery floor, which is frowned upon. Not great. The, the, the first night we're sleeping, um, you know, the room that we go to, the, the first time with Virginia, we had a, a you, you know, Lacey, she was like, a, she was the, the nurse and she was running the show at our hospital. So she hooked us up with like the suite for the delivery room, like the corner suite, the biggest suite they have. And like, there's only one room post delivery that's bigger than the other ones. So we got that room. We did not get that treatment this time. Like <laughs> the, the shittiest rooms everywhere we went, the room that we went to after delivery didn't even have one of those little pullout couches. So they had to bring in like a cot, a makeshift cot. Well, oh, the boy. lock, the lock bars and the cot were warped. Like they wouldn't lock. So three times during the first night, my cot collapsed and like I just like fell to the ground. Like Mary's like, are you okay? And so I'm, I'm waking her up. I'm waking the baby up. I can't even sleep with the cot just broken down the ground because the little bars poking up in the middle. That was a disaster. Um, I'm trying to think of what else I did. Like, I, I I don't know. I, I was just completely off my game. When John <laughs> when John came out, I think I may have told the story before, but, you know, Virginia swallowed a whole bunch of fluid when she was yeah. born. And they had to, like, whisk her away and throw all these tubes down her throat. And it was terrifying. It was, it was like, really, really scary. John comes out, and he's not even, he's not even all the way out, uh, for lack of a better term. His head has popped out. And our doctor, uh, Christy Horlander, who's the fucking best, she's, she's just awesome, she is like she she casually lets us know that he's got the umbilical cord wrapped around his neck twice, which I think like thirty percent of of kids are born with the cord around their neck. Twice is a little bit more rare. So like we're like, what's going on? And she's just joking with us. She's like, both your kids just love the drama. Like this is, this is how it's gonna be. So that happened. He comes out, and I guess I'd forgotten. I don't know if you feel this way with with any of your last two kids, but doesn't matter like, like how recent the memory is you're not prepared to see like this little grayish alien creature arrive oh yeah it's it's definitely weird for sure it's jarring i mean for like a split second you're like is he supposed to look like that is something wrong is his ear supposed to be smashed up like that does he have all of his you know uh, does he have all of his arms does he have all of his fingers and you're just kind of freaking out but uh he was after that it was totally normal uh, we got to do the the thing that we didn't get to do with Virginia, spend an hour with him in the delivery room after the doctors cleared out and all that good stuff. So uh, it went well after that. Um, I'm trying. I know I fucked up a couple of other things, but at this well, point, here's my favorite. Here's my favorite thing about what you just said. There's two things. One, talking about the bag, like that's like the guy's only responsibility is just to have your bag packed. And you were talking yep. about how you like packed it earlier, which props to you like of course when it was go time for me like even though my wife had bugged me like a hundred times like I still like didn't have the bag packed because I was like oh like I, I can just throw a couple of things in like so quickly um but just like the fact I didn't have it packed she was like you literally have one job and I carry a baby <laughs> for nine months um so that's one thing the is, I know you're rambling on about your experience but you somehow like went on a 10 minute rant about how miserable you were. In oh, the I know. I know. This, this is all about me. <laughs> Meanwhile, poor Mary's like, I just had a damn baby. You can sleep on a cot. Um, we had no, I, so funny to say that good. we had our, our babysitter was over last night and she stayed late to, ha- to help us out. And like, I was telling the cot story and I look over at Mary. I'm like, you'll never understand how hard that weekend was for me. <laughs> I was like, I was like, you'll never be able to put yourself in my shoes. <laughs> I mean, poor Mary, this one was, uh, you know, the, the second one, it was quicker. Like she didn't have to push as long as she did with, with Virginia. And the whole process was quicker because when we got to the hospital, she was already a little bit dilated. Whereas with Virginia, it was like Virginia would have stayed in there for 11 months if she could have. She wasn't going anywhere unless she was absolutely forced to. But this time I felt like the pain was a little bit more for Virginia, for, for Mary. And I think the recovery was a little bit more again. This kid was huge. <laughs> so, yeah. you, when, I didn't want to say anything, but when you sent me the first picture, I was like, is that Jimmy Graham? Like, he was like an absolute monster. I was like, oh, my gosh, congratulations. Uh, also, but he, he looked like a big boy. We had to say, too, born with a full head of dark hair. I was like, okay. I mean, already my son's got more hair than me coming out of the womb. And it's uh, – I mean, they were like, he's yeah, he's got – we're seeing a lot of hair. And he comes out, and you're like, Jesus Christ, he's got, like, Bieber hair. Um, it was unbelievable. But, yeah, it's been 
it's been some tough days around here at the house and poor Virginia has, um, you know, she, she did really well when we first brought him home. She was excited to see him. She wanted to hold him. She was talking about baby brother. And now that she realizes that he's here to stay, um, she's, she's less enthusiastic about the whole thing, about the big change. She's, she's super attached to me, which was, it was a good thing. Like the, the month prior to Mary giving birth, she had been kind of like all about me, which was better than the alternative because, you know, Mary's got to spend so much time with John now that he's, you know, he's, he's nursing and doing all that. Um, but she's, it's like, I love it, but my God, (laughs) like it's, she will not leave me alone. She's throwing temper tantrums. And then we found out today we had to take her to the doctor. She's got croup and an ear infection. So that's not helping things. Her, her whole schedule is just thrown off. And it's been, I, I kind of treated going from one to two kids the way that I'm treating U of L and it's upcoming punishment from the NCA. And just like, I was like, expect the worst. And if it's anything easier than that, then you're going to be okay. So I was expecting this to be bad and it's, it's been pretty tough. It, I'm, I'm pretty tired. Mary's really tired. The kids are, are tired. We've, everybody's sick. It's just, it's a lot, but you know, yeah, we're still it's, very happy. It's parenthood, man. I mean, it's, you get, give it like a couple more weeks, and uh, I don't want to say you're out of the woods, but obviously you know from the first one, and things will start to normalize out a little bit. We did manage to do Halloween, which was cool. Um, you know, Mary was a trooper, and we only went up and down the street, but Virginia wanted to put on her costume and do some trick-or-treating, and you know, she was super into Halloween this year, so that was a lot of fun, but yeah. it was not as fun. I mean, the very first night that we're home um, – I'm trying to watch the U of L hoops exhibition game, which we're going to talk about a little bit later. And it's like having John screeching like a pterodactyl and then having Virginia, like just all over me, making me play with her, not wanting to do anything else. I was like, viewing is going to be, it was, it was tough the last year with just having a one-year-old. It's going to be nearly, nearly impossible now. I don't, I don't know how we're going to make this happen. Saturday night was, was a little bit better. I had to pause the game for a stretch in the first half uh, to put Virginia down and then come back and you know, I, was, I feel like I was playing from behind and I couldn't couldn't look at Twitter, couldn't look at my phone, couldn't look at my texts. Um, so that was a little bit challenging. But super bummed that John couldn't come into the world with a victory. But we're gonna talk about that a little bit later too. It's a, you know, you, you want to explain that to my kids, Scott? Wanna, <laughs> what, what am I supposed to tell my son, Scott, about his first game? Oh God, yeah, I was gonna say I was like it was probably maybe a more enjoyable enjoyable experience putting your kid down to bed than uh having to sit through the uh second third and fourth quarters of the game uh well let's talk about it let's move right on from the family of chronicle going from three to four to uh the the, the L football team going to four and four uh louisville goes to raleigh and i guess in a, in a vacuum it's not the biggest deal in the world it's not a score that popped out to anybody who's not a direct fan of louisville or nc state the cards went down to play an NC State team that has been in the top 25 for most of the year. They were about a touchdown underdog, and they lost 28-13. So not a, you know, just a overly discouraging result if you're looking at it from a, a broad perspective. But another game where it seemed like for three quarters Louisville was kind of in command, kind of looked like the superior team, should have been in a, a stronger position going into quarter four, and I think every Louisville fan saw the writing on the wall when the offense was sputtering so many times in the third quarter. Like, they didn't do enough. NC State was going to make a, a run at some point, and we didn't feel confident in our ability to answer. And that's exactly what wound up happening. Louisville loses 28-13. And well, I'll let you start things off, Dan. I, I've got thoughts about where we stand and, and the bigger picture and, and all that good stuff. But your overall assessment from this game and where you are right now with this season. Yeah, it's going to be one of those seasons I think you tweeted this on Saturday night and you hit it on the head that we're probably just gonna not really remember um in the long run I mean we're you know we do have some nice moments but it, it seems in bigger games that the bad moments outweigh the good moments and right now I think the program itself is kind of suffering from a oh shit here we go again loser mentality a little bit like you're just waiting for you know, the bad turnover or the bad penalty or, or you know, the missed kick or something like that to, to swing the game. Um, and it sucks because, you know, there is some talent on this team, um, but it's, it's I don't know, it's tough to look at. I mean, the, the kids do look like they're playing hard. I'm, I'm never going to question how hard they're playing. They look like they're playing hard. Um, you know, I, 
I, I think we're young. Um, we have inexperience in a lot of positions. Um, but man, there's just not a whole lot to look forward to. Um, you know, as far as like, Hey, well, we got this guy coming up, coming up that that's going to fill in next year or anything like that. So nothing really to hang your hat on for the future, which makes it a little discouraging. Um, I mean, we could still finish the season with two wins possibly, um, against maybe a, a Clemson and a Syracuse. I know Kentucky fell at Mississippi state, so who knows how they'll look down the stretch, but I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to be as optimistic as possible, but it just seems like for the most part um, we, we've kind of been let down and I don't want to throw the coaches too much under the bus, but geez, it just seems from like a coaching standpoint, we're playing more not to lose than to win. And that's very discouraging. Yeah. I, I mean, you, you kind of dissect every individual game week to week when you're in the middle of a season, because that's just what, it's what fans do, right? We, we look at the minutia, we, we, overanalyze play calling we overanalyze what this specific game means for the bigger picture of this season and the overall direction of the program and the reality is you look back at seasons 5 10 15 20 years later and you look at them totally differently than you did when you were in the midst of them and i think you know the tweet you were alluding to is me saying we're going to look back at this in 10 years and, and we've been all just consumed by this team and Week to week, it's fire Satterfield or Satterfield's great or this program sucks or this program's great. And it's just, it, it seems to be just extreme swings one way or the other. And I think assuming that this team finishes out and, and ends up, you know, six and six, seven and five, what have you, when we look back at this year, we're going to, to see it for what it truly is, which is a super average team having a super average season. I mean, they are, they are average in every respect. You look at the computer rankings. You know, you've got 130 teams in the FBS. Every computer ranking seems to have them somewhere around number 40, number 45. They're in the middle of the Atlantic Division standings in a just average ACC. They're just, you know, they're just good enough to get you excited about games or excited about the prospect of beating decent teams. And they're just not good enough to, to close out a lot of those games. And we've seen that certainly in the UVA and Wake Forest and Virginia games and even UCF. You know, they, it, I don't want to, reverse the narrative and say, you know, a lot of people now are like, well, it took a miracle play. Well, you know, we, we had that game in hand if we don't give them the opportunity to, to, to hand it right back to us a second later. But it's just like, I think this is going to be just kind of a, a, a whatever season. And honestly, that's what this team was pegged as being nationally going into the year. I mean, the over under in Vegas for this team was six and a half. Most people who make predictions for the ACC or just college football at large had Louisville going seven and five or six and six or eight and four. And that's exactly how this is going to, to, to wind up playing out. It seems like right now, the bigger picture issue, this was the other thing I said. And, and the reason why I think you're seeing so many fans so upset on a week to week basis is you're not giving us anything tangible to point to and say, this is why it's going to get better. You know, it's, if we had a di- gigantic recruiting class coming in or we had a a superstar freshman quarterback who was having an up and down season but was showing flashes of brilliance kind of like Lamar Jackson was in 2015 I think fans would be okay with going six and six or seven and five this year but the reality is like you said you know we've got a lot of decent young players but there's nothing that that said that screams hey we're not going to be just just good in a couple of years we're going to be really good we're going to be competing for the ACC title we're going to be a top 15 team we're going to be in the playoff discussion there's nothing that says that and I think that's why you're seeing so much unrest from the fans base and I think also you're just seeing a fan base that that is completely disconnected from this head coach and this coaching staff and there's no other real way to put it there are a lot of people who just don't feel like Scott Satterfield's the guy who didn't like the South Carolina thing who don't really like the overall demeanor who don't like the, the, the just aren't have happy with the overall direction of the program and maybe with athletics in general. And it's why you're seeing such a high level of discontent for a average season. And I think I've kind of reshaped my expectations for the season. I mean, I predicted this team to go seven and five. That's still very much on the table, but I'm no longer thinking about dramatically overachieving this year and having a, a great season where we go into the off season riding high and feeling great about things my expectation now, because look, Scott Satterfield's not getting fired. Barring something just horrific happening in these last four games, barring a complete and total collapse, he's going to be the guy for year four. 
and there's going to be some buzz around this team just because of all the young guys they have coming back. Assuming Malik Cunningham does return for another year, if he doesn't, you better knock out knock it out of the park with a grad transfer or just normal transfer quarterback. But my expectations now are get to a bowl game, load up on the transfer market with, with a couple of key guys at key positions, namely at quarterback, if Malik doesn't return, and then year four is when you really start holding his feet to the fire. Because I, I think that all this, you know, he's got to go after going six and six, or he's got to go after going seven and five. I think it's nonsense. We, we can, we can be upset and certainly I'm upset. I'm not thrilled about the direction of the program. I'm not thrilled about a lot of things that have happened this season, but I do think it's within the best interest of the program to at least give Satterfield an opportunity to earn it in a normal season in 2022. And, if he doesn't win eight games in 2022, if he doesn't win nine games in 2022, depending on on how this season plays out, then we can really escalate the let's let's make a move now. It's within the best interest of the program. But because you and I have said the same thing, as unhappy as we may be, as unsure as we may be about Satterfield's coaching acumen and whether or not he's the the fit for this program, the best thing for U of L is for him to be the guy. It is for him to to kill it. Is is for him to miraculously have that Mark Stoops realization at Kentucky where everything just kind of starts clicking and and the, the patience pays off and he's the guy. You don't have to restart the whole program and restart the recruiting cycling and restart everything. Um, so I, I think he's going to get year four, and I think that's when the pressure really needs to be heightened, and that's where I am right now. But I, I, the one thing that could really change this whole dynamic, this whole feeling around the program, and it's obvious and it's simple and it's – Probably not going to happen, but my God, it would be great if it did. If you end the regular season by beating yeah. Kentucky, I think right. I think the overall just feeling around Louisville football shifts dramatically, regardless of what that team does in its bowl game. I 100% agree with that sentiment. And one thing to add, I think another point of frustration with the fans, especially this year, is this is a year where the division is wide open. I mean, Clemson having a down yeah. year. It, it, it's like, God, it, you know, it was there for the taking. And the fact that we played and should have won the Wake Forest game, um, it, it, it's just the ultimate tease saying, like, man, this team, I mean, is good enough. I mean, we've, we've seen it. Um, but the fact that we haven't been able to put together that consistency, I think, is what is driving the fans bonkers. Um, but, I mean, like you said, nothing's going to happen to them this year. Uh I, you know, it's just so hard with this guy because every time a loss happens or something negative happens, um, I mean, and I can't help myself and I really don't want to think about it, but I always think back to the South Carolina thing. And it's, you can say, well, like, get over it. That happened last year. Coaches flirt with teams all the time. Like, you know, it, it's, it's tough. Um, he, he really disconnected himself from the fan base just with that action. And then, you know, from that point on, you need to produce results. And right now, I mean, like you said, we're mediocre. uh, We're the definition of average. Um, For him to to win the fan base back, he's going to definitely have to be better than average next year. So, you know, year four is definitely going to be big for him. Obviously, the Kentucky game is going to be big for him. Um, You know, hopefully we can get ourselves off the mat and win a couple of these last games here Clemson I don't know what the spread is but it seems like it could be a winnable game um Syracuse is a winnable game so we'll see uh but you know I I just have a I have a hard time with this guy right now can I give you know Scott Satterfield diehard card chronicle podcast listener I'm sure yeah here's a this is a small piece of advice and I know it's a it's a stupid stupid fan thing but I'm a stupid, stupid fan. And if you're listening to this and you're like uh, an objective person, you're like, oh, it's such fan crap. I still feel this way. Please don't smile after losses when you're shaking hands at midfield. Like the, yeah. the laughing and chucking it up thing. I, I Again, it's a stupid fan thing, but I'd be lying if I said it didn't drive me fucking crazy. Like I'm I'm sitting there on the couch. I'm furious. I'm like, I'm like, well, I'm, I'm going to be depressed now for the next few hours. I'm going to soul care. And I look up and I see Scott like just – Yucking it up with Dave Dorn at midfield, laughing it up like nothing's wrong. And I know that he hurts, and I know that it's it's not legitimate. It's not indicative of how he's feeling inside. 
and I'm not asking him to like sob or like, you know, be pounding the ground at midfield and screaming up to the heavens like uh, Andy Dufresne breaking out of Shawshank, but like, like just, you know, like, like a, a stoic face, like just, just don't laugh. Like it, that, that drives me crazy. We, I get mad when I see players doing it after games. I get really mad when I see a head coach doing it after games and you're not endearing yourself to a fan base that, that I think wants to get behind you, but is really struggling with it right now. I don't know, man. It's, these are weird times. Remember Petrino used to like smile on the sidelines after like a big play or something would go against us. I'd be like, God damn it. Why is he smiling right now? Um, he'd, he'd do that little smirk. Yeah. yeah, I didn't like that either. Um, yeah, I, I mean, when you're not winning, everything you do kind of gets examined hard, like way more hardcore than it should. Um, and and just something like that, you know, the, the fan base is already kind of, um, I don't want to say up in arms, but I, I would say for the most part, they're probably more down on this guy, unfortunately. So, um, yeah, I mean, we're going to look at every move, unfortunately. The other thing that I think we need to talk about right now is just the, and I, this is, it's so shitty and I, I fucking hate, I hate doing this. It's the biggest people have compared Satterfield to Cragthorpe a couple of times now, but the, I've never really felt it because Cragthorpe never had anywhere near the level of success that that Satterfield had in year one. He didn't go to a bowl game. He certainly was not ever Big East coach of the year. And he also inherited a program that was rolling, whereas Satterfield inherited a program that was coming off a two and 10 season. But I've never felt that connection as strongly as I have in the last couple of weeks with the whole, hey, real fans need to show up at games or, hey, let fans do what they want argument. It's exactly the type of shit that we were doing in 2008, 2009. And like, Every Louisville fan knows what Cardinal Stadium has looked like this year. It's been, I mean, the numbers have been worse than they were under Steve Craigthorpe, even at his worst. They've hovered around 40,000 for every home game. And the whole, like, because coaches have been doing it and some media members have been doing it, like, you guys need to get out. You can't complain about the football program if you're not filling up the crowd and making us look good for these recruits. And I get that this weekend is the biggest recruiting weekend of the year for Louisville, the, the quarterback of the future that they'd like to have. The, the guy that they'd like to have be the quarterback of the future, Pierce Clarkson from St. John Bosco is in town, as well as a, a couple of his four-star teammates. Um, you know, all these guys that they want to be future Cardinals, that they want to impress. But at some point, like, it's not on the fans to sell this program. Like, yeah. it's, it's, you've got to give fans a reason to show up. And when, you know, you're, you have these lines to get in and the f- product on the field isn't great and it's, you know, $3,000 for four beers at a game. Like, you can't blame the fans for not showing up in droves anymore. And it's especially frustrating when you hear the kind of the lecturing coming from people who don't pay for tickets to go to games. Like, that sort of, uh, like, I it rubs me the wrong way, and I'm not even a, a media, quote-unquote media member who goes to games with a media pass or anything like that. Um, it's just, you're swinging at windmills when you're when you're trying to, to preach to fans. And I've done it before in the past. I mean, I, I've certainly been rah-rah, like, hey, let's all show up. Let's, let's do this thing. And the fact of the matter is nobody with a website or a radio show or anything is going to significantly sway whatever the attendance for a Saturday game is going to be. Maybe you convince four or five people to go who wouldn't have gone otherwise, but it's not going to be like a 10,000-person increase uh, in attendance because – the fans were rallying each other. It's it's going to be what it's going to be. People are going to do what they're going to do, and it's not going to be affected. And it's why I'm not going to get involved in the argument, uh, even though we're discussing it now. Attendance has been bad. I expect it to not be great on Saturday night for a 7.30 game against Clemson. And I don't expect it to be great for a noon game uh, when we honor Lamar Jackson against Syracuse in two weeks. It's just – it's the way it is. People are – they feel a disconnect from the program. I mean, how many friends do we have? And this is – this is kind of how I judge all these things. We have a lot of friends who are, you know, kind of the, the, the average fan. They're not living and dying with every news article that comes out. They're not listening to all the radio shows. And I always feel like they're the pulse of, of how things are going to go. If they're saying they're selling their tickets, uh, if I'm getting a lot of people saying, texting me and saying, hey, I'm trying to give away my tickets. Do you want them or do you know anybody? I usually feel like attendance is going to be bad that weekend. And so many of these people have been saying this whole season, like, it's just not as fun as it used to be, and we're just – we're not going. And I think that that's the mentality of a lot of people. And if you're listening to this podcast, that's probably not you. 
you're probably a diehard. You're going to be tailgating on Saturday, and you're going to be there. And you can't understand the mindset of those who who aren't. But there is a large number of fans that just don't feel the way they used to. And until we start winning at a really high level again, I feel like that's going to be the case. So this whole argument, this whole lecturing back and forth, again, it's just it's uh, it, it's 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 yeah. fruitless. I mean, I see these quote-unquote, like, almost PR mouthpieces on Twitter um, that are, like you said, almost lecturing fans to attend the game because of all the big recruits we have. Um, and, and I'm the same way as you. I mean, I'm never going to tell anyone how to spend their money or how to spend their Saturday. Uh, but, I mean, there's one remedy that will be the cure for all of this, and it always has been with Louisville football, if you're winning games and putting an exciting product on the field, I promise you the fans would show up. Like, you know, the unfortunately the coaching staff or whoever, you know, the the PR machine wants to turn to send these messages out to try to get fans in the seat. I mean, that, the, the reality is they don't have a right to tell people what to do, um, you know, as far as going to games. And I think you're exactly right. I don't think we're going to see – very big crowds here these last three games. I unfortunately think the Kentucky game, we're probably going to see an influx of a large number of Kentucky fans be at that game. And that's just the way things are going right now. And until you turn around the football program, until you put a more exciting competitive product on the field, that's just the way it's going to be. And look, I'm not trying to say that I, I understand what's going on and I'm, I'm supporting of the fans who don't go. And obviously you and I, we'd love to have, 60,000 fans at Cardinal Stadium every single of course. home game. Like that, that would be – that's best-case scenario. It's never really happened here at that level. It's – I think it's – it's even if the program did get it rolling, it's going to be a tough sell like to, to make that happen on a week-in, week-out basis just because we don't have that built-in tradition of, uh, you know, my grandparents were going to home games every, every week. My great-grandparents were going to home games every week. I've seen people who are like, you know, Nebraska's got 90,000 people. They're three and six. We're not Nebraska. Like Nebraska's right. been doing this for decades and decades and decades. Louisville is a is a big city town without a pro sports team, so you're going to have like huge crowds at big time home games. That's always going to be the case. And even when the team is really good, when the opponent is less than stellar, you're probably not going to have sellouts. And that's again, I I don't like it. I wish it wasn't that way, but it's the way it's always been. It's probably the way it's going to be unless we somehow are able to become a, a perennial top 15 team and we can right. you know, build a new tradition but the whole it, it does kind of rub me the wrong way to see coaches kind of being sort of reaching out and almost I don't want to say blaming the fans but trying to light a fire under us I'm like you know you got to understand that this fan base has been through a lot recently and you guys haven't exactly been helping when the head coach is doing what he was doing last December uh, in the middle of a pandemic like it's going to piss people off so it's it's kind of like those studies that say when you argue with somebody, especially on social media, stats say even if they're they're presented with a winning argument, they're just going to double down and dig their feet even deeper into the ground. If you try to kind of lecture the fan base that that's already on the fence about going to games and say you need to do this, they're probably going to double down and be like, okay, well that pisses me off even more. Now I really don't want to go to the game. It's just you're fighting a losing battle. Let the season play out as it will. Don't don't try to, to make yourself a superior person because you're doing things a certain way or don't try to, to talk down to the fans that are more upset than a, a certain fraction. It's just you're not going to win any, any points. Even if you feel like your argument is legit, maybe it is, you're not going to do yourself any favors. You're, you're not going to help anything right now. I don't think we're being negative. I just think me and you are just being realistic about the situation. Like, of course we want fans there. But, I mean, you know, we know – the history of, you know, when our attendance is up and when our attendance is down. And like you said, we don't have the same history in our program as like a Nebraska or a Tennessee or a Michigan or, or some of these programs that maybe don't have the success now, but maybe did back in the old days. And they're able to pass down, you know, tickets from, you know, generations to generations. We just don't have that right now, unfortunately. I've made this comparison before, but, you know, if you go to a Clemson game, you know, nobody lives in Clemson, South Carolina that doesn't go to school there. It's, it's a very much a college town. So Clemson fans, you know, they book these weekend trips months in advance. Every hotel around that area is booked months and months before the actual season starts. And it's, it's very much like a 
this is what we're doing. You know, we're coming in on Friday night. We're going to the hotel. We're getting up early to tailgate. We're going to the game. We're staying late. And then we're going back to the hotel and we're driving back home on Sunday. So you're kind of, you're pot committed at that point. If you've bought tickets to the Clemson Boston college game months in advance, like you're going to the Clemson Boston college game, regardless of how the team is playing. Um, Louisville, the vast, vast majority of fans that are inside Cardinal Stadium are residents of the city of Louisville. Like they're already in, if they are upset with the way the team's playing or something comes up that they'd rather do on a Saturday, they're just not going to go. You know, they're, they're going to try to give their tickets away. They're going to try to sell their tickets. But if they can't, you know, and, and there's a, you know, St. James Art Fair or something going on that they'd rather attend, they're just going to do that. And so I think it's why you're always going to see this dynamic at play here, whereas in Lincoln, Nebraska, it's it's not going to be the case. In Clemson, South Carolina, it's not going to be the case. It's just – it's the way it is. And it sucks, but it's where we are right now, and hopefully we're in a different place three, four, five years from now. I don't know. Um, we're going to move on to basketball talk here in a second, but before we do, I mentioned I was wearing the home field apparel uh, hoodie when I was going to the hospital. That was the original plan. I wanted to support the sponsor because we love home field apparel. We love that they're sponsoring the Card Chronicle podcast. Uh, didn't work out, but I did get to rock the home field apparel Louisville Hoops, a regular sweatshirt after John was born. First picture I had taken with him, rocking home field. Wouldn't have it any other way. If you're about to have a kid or not about to have a kid, but you just want to rock the home field brand, hit up homefieldapparel.com today and use the promo code CHRONICLE15. It's all one word, CHRONICLE, and the number's one and five. And it'll, it's going to save you 15% on your first purchase. Just plug that in when you check out. Homefield Apparel has all the uh, the coolest designs in college sports apparel, the comfiest hoodies, the t-shirts are wonderful, you got a Duncan Cardleburn and sunglasses. You've got Louisville hoop stuff. If you're still supporting Scott Satterfield and you want to show up, everybody who's not, they have a Saturday's T-shirt. You can rock all that good stuff. Again, find the full assortment of uh, Louisville memorabilia at college uh, at homefieldapparel.com and use that promo code Chronicle15 to check out to save 15%. All right, Dan, we are officially one week away Let's from go. the start of the Louisville men's basketball season. I think after Saturday, a lot of Louisville fans were uh, were kind of ready to to focus on what they'd seen Friday night against Kentucky State and this Louisville basketball team, men's basketball team, which looks awfully good uh, in its debut. I say that. They won by almost 50 points. It's hard to really take a whole lot away because Kentucky State is is Kentucky State, not a great team, even at the uh, at a lower level. But for those of you who were able to see the game, I know it was a struggle for a lot of people, uh, yourself included, Dan. I don't know if you ever got your watch uh, just getting figured like, out. Yeah. I don't know what was going on with my watch ESPN, but it was, uh, I had to go through an alternate stream and that was rather shoddy, but I got to watch a little bit of it. I just love it. It's my first night home. Like the first, one of the first texts I get is like, you're 36 years old, Dan. Come on. You can figure this out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I promise you it wasn't just me because I had watched games on there last year, but I, I had thought I was doing something wrong, but for whatever reason, it wasn't working in our area. My, my initial takeaways, and this is going to, I'm not, I'm not like thumping my chest or patting myself on the back or anything, but it's kind of like, like my overall thoughts on this team were totally unchanged by what I saw in this exhibition game. Like I, my biggest concerns are still my biggest concerns. Uh, I'm a little, I'm still concerned about a point guard play. I think Jared West is fine. I think he's going to be solid. I don't think he's going to be, I, I think he can get swallowed up by the best guards in the ACC. That's still a concern for me. It's why I'd love to see L. Ellis continue to develop and, and eventually become that guy because he made a couple of plays that were just dynamic um, on Friday night. Uh, I thought that he was he showed some flashes there. And then post play, especially the depth at the post position, is still concerning to me. Malik Williams looked fine in his his first game back, kind of looked like him himself. Um, but if he is injured at some point, which has happened the last couple of seasons. Look, Roosevelt Wheeler is not ready to play right now. I think that was very apparent. Um, JJ Trainer appears to be in Chris Mack's doghouse. I think significantly yeah. so. And then uh, Gabe Wisnitzer now, Big Wiz, broken wrist. So it's you know I, I don't really know what you do there. Sidney Curry looked fine. I, I thought he looked uh, he looked okay in, in the 12 minutes that he saw of court time. But the positives, I think Noah Locke is as advertised. He was the guy that I really wanted them to go out and get on the grad transfer market. They got him. Uh, he's 
clearly a knockdown shooter. He's going to do that. That's his biggest skill set. You saw that on, on Friday night. But you also saw a little bit of his improvement as far as ball handling and finishing and transition. Um, and, and look, listening to the Card Chronicle podcast or listening to the Mike Rutherford show, it pays off. Because we were the only people that told you that uh, Dre Davis was starting over Sam Williamson at practice at the three as of a couple of weeks ago. Sure enough, he gets the start over Sam Williamson in this exhibition game. I don't know if it lights a fire under Sam. He ended up still playing 21 minutes and taking 12 shots, which is more than anybody else on the team. But there is serious competition at the three spot. And also, you want to toss Matt Cross into the, into the equation, who I think is going to play both the three and the four this year. Those wings, those forward spots, you've got a whole lot of options to work with. And I think we saw that firsthand on Friday night. Yeah, I'd say that's a pretty fair assessment. Um, I from what I watched, and again, I didn't get to watch the whole thing, so it's maybe skewed a little bit. Um, I think we can be a, a nice team. Um, I don't want to say, uh, you know, we're going to be like final four good right now, um, but I think we can be a nice team. I, I, I am a little worried about the fact, I don't know if we're explosive enough right now. I really think we're going to need L. Ellis to come on as the season goes on. I mean, just like everyone has said, you know, he showed those flashes of being able to get to the rim, kicking out, um, you know, finishing at the rim. So uh, there's some pieces there, but I, I think this season is going to come down to defense. I think it's going to come down to offensive execution. I think Chris Mack um, – Obviously, I like that we're playing faster. We're going to create more possessions. But there's going to be more athletic teams that sometimes try to overwhelm us defensively. Um, and I don't know if we're really explosive enough to be able to handle that sometimes. So um, I, I, I think we're going to have to rely on the coaching staff to create extra buckets. And I really think we're going to have to win some games with defense. So uh, I am curious about the J.J. Trainer uh, kind of saga that's going on right now. I know he's a little banged up, so maybe that's why he didn't play a ton. But like you said, it did seem like he was in Chris Mack's doghouse. Um, so... Yeah, I don't know. Uh, we'll have to wait for the season to play out and see what happens. But all I know is I'm super excited. And I'm one thing we didn't really see, Mason Faulkner, I think he's probably still working his way back a little uh, bit. But I'm excited to see what he can do for us as well. I really like that you said that the, the season's going to come down to defense and offensive <laughs> execution. I, I mean – you know what I mean? Like, we're not going to just – like, I'm serious. We're not going to – we're not a team that can just roll the balls out and, like, beat people. Like, I'm using every coaching, you know, cliche right now. But we really are. I mean, we're, we're going to have to win some games from a coaching perspective when we're, you know, kind of outmanned athletically. If we're good on both ends of the floor, I feel pretty good about this team. If we're not executing on defense or offense, I, I don't know. I've got some question marks, Dan. What do you want me to say? Here? I'm trying to get some, <laughs> trying to get some damn analysis. Um, uh, the cards will play. Uh, you know, we're recording this on Tuesday. They, they'll play West Georgia uh, tomorrow night, Wednesday, November third at seven thirty. So we'll get a second look at this team. I'm with you on Mason Faulkner too, because I thought it was really interesting that Jeff Goodman, uh, give me my prize, Jeff, fucking asshole. Like you owe me that prize. Come on. Uh, he attended practice last week, and then he went on the the State of Louisville podcast. I think it. Um, I'm blanking on, on the name. They do a good job. I listened to his, his interview. It was really, really good. Um, he said Mason Faulkner was the most impressive player that he saw at practice. And I was like, okay. Well, I was like, one, that's awesome because it'd be really cool if he was good. Two, that's terrifying because if Mason Faulkner is the best player on this team, then I, I don't know. I think we're gonna, we might be in a little bit of trouble. The one other thing that I wanted to say, and this is it's sort of along the same lines of, hey, Scott Satterfield, don't smile after losses at midfield. It's definitely a, a fan thing that maybe I'm reading too much into. I felt like Sam Williamson got knocked down at least three times during the game and nobody went over and helped him up. And again, maybe I'm reading too much into that, but that was one of those things where I was like, I don't, I don't know if something's, if there's something there or just I'm, you know, I don't know. But like, that was something that it stood out to me just watching the game on Friday night. Maybe, I'm the only one who saw that. Maybe I'm making too much of it, but I was a little bit concerned about that. Also, I did like that Matt Cross got into a fight in his very first game as a Cardinal. Like, love it, love it. It was. I mean, he's he's definitely going to be that type of guy. Like, that's sort of his. I think he's a different kind of cat, but he's also a guy who's not going to take any sort of shit from anybody. And 
you know, there was a jump ball situation and it was classic like college basketball scuffle where he's not letting go. Like, like Matt Cross was not letting go of the ball and the other guy took exception to that. And he was like the, the Kentucky State player was like trying to go after him even after he'd gotten teed up and, you know, Cross wasn't going to back, back down. I liked that. I, he, Matt Cross was not terrific in this game. He turned the ball over three times and only made one of his four shots. It was a, a three that he made, which looked pretty, but uh, it wasn't quite as impressive as he looked in that red-white scrimmage the week before. But I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that this this exhibition game sort of showcased what Chris Mack has been saying about this team for the last few weeks, which is it's going to be a work in progress playing this new style. I think they're going to turn the ball over a bunch at the beginning of the season. But to be quite frank, like I'd rather have that style where they're scoring a decent amount of points, they're getting up and down, they're playing exciting basketball, but they're a little bit sloppy for stretches. I'd rather have that than the we go five minutes without scoring, the other team finishes with five turnovers, we finish with seven, and it's you know 52 to 48 one way or the other, which we saw way too much of last year. I prefer this style. I think it's I think it fits this team better, especially because they have so much depth, uh, particularly in the backcourt. Like I, I think it's going to be a fun year. I really, really do. I'm not saying that this is going definitely going to be a top 15 team that makes it a lead eight or something along those lines, but I think it's going to be a fun team to follow. And I'm excited about seeing how all the mixing and matching, especially early in the season, is going to work with this roster. I just wish we had our fucking head coach for the first month of the season. Right. It's not too late, Neely. It's not too late. Take that suspension down to one game. We got Mark Few out here risking everybody's <laughs> lives with DUIs and trying to fight cops, getting suspended for one game. Chris Mack's playing a graduate assistant in practice, a rule that does not even exist anymore, and he can't even talk to his team for the first month of the season. Ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm sure Neely listens to this since she's on it right now. But Big fan. Um, she's a huge fan. Huge fan. But it's kind of interesting when you look at all these like uh, preseason rankings that you know, national college basketball writers have. I mean, we are all over the place. Like I saw one from Sports Illustrated today that had us 46. I've seen us in the, you know, mid twenties. I've seen us in the thirties. So I, I don't think a lot of people have a very good read on this team. And it's obviously it's because we're just bringing in a bunch of new parts right now. Um, and it's funny. I mean, obviously, you always want to be playing well at every point of the season. But it seems like since Chris Mack's gotten here, we've almost been playing like some of our best basketball, it seems like, at the beginning of the year. And uh-huh. I'm not saying I don't want to be playing good at the beginning of the year because I obviously do. I want to win games. Um, you know, we got the tournament in the Bahamas. I definitely want to win. Um, but having this team kind of, you know, having to work through chemistry issues and, and come together – you know, it wouldn't be the worst thing for me if we kind of started, you know, maybe a little slow and then maybe started peaking around February, March, um, maybe a, a different turn of events that we've seen the past couple of years. But um, I don't know. There, there's just so many pieces to work with. It, it'll be interesting to see at the end of the year who's, you know, who's getting the key minutes in the rotation, who's out of the rotation completely. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm excited. You know what was super weird to me about this whole because it definitely has become a thing. You know, this Chris Mack, his teams at Louisville peak early and they fade late, and a lot of people are upset about that, particularly because it seemed like with Rick Pitino, the the lasting memory that we have is well, he was always losing games in November and December, and there was a little bit of a January slide, but by March we were really peaking. I think everybody's kind of forgotten that the the beginning of the Pitino era at Louisville was basically the exact same as the beginning of the Mac era at Louisville in, in terms of starting fast and ending slow. I mean, his first year, we he comes in here. We have the, the famous Tennessee game at Freedom Hall. We played really well in November and December. We ended up just completely flailing down the stretch in Conference USA and, and ended up playing in the NIT. Year two, we make it all the way to, I believe, number three in the country. They start off playing so well completely fade down the stretch. We get it back together just in time to win the CUSA tournament and be a four seed, lose in the second round, get upset by Butler. Year three, we're uh, top three in the country again. I think we, were, we got up as high as number two after we beat Cincinnati. Almost missed the damn tournament. Uh, end up being a 10 seed and lose to Xavier, ironically enough, in the first round there. It's kind of been the same with Mac. I mean, the, the, the fast start in year one, fading down the stretch, making the tournament as a seven seed, Fast start in year uh, two, got up to number one in the country, 
fade down the stretch. We're, we're trending towards being a three or a four seed if that tournament had been played. And then last year, we don't need to, to say, same thing happens again. Top 25 at, at the middle part of the season and then end up missing the NCAA tournament. Now, in year four for Patino, we did go to a Final Four. Not exactly uh, predicting that this year, but you know there is a little bit of of symmetry there. Hopefully, we can you know stop that. But it's just it's kind of funny how the narrative with Rick Patino has become. Well, he always lost a couple of games early, but hit his stride in March. Whereas in the first part of his uh, his tenure here at Louisville, everybody was saying the opposite. The second we lost a couple of games in February, it was here we go again. But uh, I, I'm with you. We would love to see this team. Yeah, and it's again, not having him for the first month is just such a weird dynamic. I don't know. I mean, if we go 6-0 and and then he comes back and we lose to Michigan State and then lose to NC State, are people clamoring for Mike Begeese to take the reins back? I, I, it's going to be very weird, but I'm, I'm excited nonetheless, very excited. And you also, what, one last note, you mentioned the rankings. I think it's a little bit encouraging that even though Louisville is, is nowhere to be seen in a lot of these human rankings that even go to you know top 35s, top 40s, the computers really like this Louisville team, and more times than not, the computers are more accurate in college basketball than the human rankings. I know Eric Haslam, his algorithm has Louisville as a top 25 team. Um, Bartorvik has Louisville as a, as a top 25 team. Ken Palm is not quite as high, but still likes Louisville more than a lot of the, the national riders do. So that's that's something that makes me feel a little bit better. But again, regardless, just excited to get the journey going. Do you, do you have any parting thoughts here before we move on to stand in the dumps? I, I was going to ask, who is your your final four? No. Damn. <laughs> Come on. I mean, yeah, I know. I, I figure you probably have like a segment for that on your, your radio show or something. But, yeah, we um, don't do that. Yeah, it's early. Whatever. I'll, I will say, um, yeah, I don't know. I, there, there, there's just so much newness in college basketball. I, I say that. There actually is a lot of returning players because of the COVID thing. But – um, I, I just don't really have a good grasp. Like, I mean, Gonzaga, obviously they got Timmy coming back. They got the, uh, the, the freshman Holmgren, um, Chet, 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 the jet. Um, so it seems like they're getting all the preseason love, but, um, yeah, I can't really shake what happened to them in the title game last year. So it's hard to pick them, but, um, yeah, I guess middle of the year, maybe I'll have a better idea of who's, who's going to be in the finals. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be really good. I think I'd have, if I had a ballot, I'd have Kansas at number two. I think their roster is absolutely loaded. Um, I think, I think I have Texas at five. In the, See, like, I knew 25. you wanted to talk about this. I just had to ask the question. I knew well, you I'm wanted not, to. I don't, I don't do the final four. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Like that's, I, I hate that question. It drives me crazy. So I'm not going to do that. I mean, I think, um, the ACC, I think, is going to be down again, but I, I do think Duke's the best team, even though they get picked to win it every single year and never actually win it. Um, By the way, Virginia is not going to be as bad as everyone says they are. Like, everyone's picking them, like, fifth, sixth, seventh. That just won't happen. I don't think uh, what's Tony Bennett will let that happen. I mean, history says you're right. I just, the roster is weird. I, if I had a top five, I'm going Zags, one, Kansas, two, Villanova, I think, is going to be good at three. Purdue, I think, is going to be really good at four. And then I'll, I'll put Texas in there at five. That, that roster with Chris Beard, you know, it, maybe it doesn't work just because things don't seem to work at Texas for whatever reason, but they seem to check every box. So that would be my I'll, top five. I'll take Purdue out and I'll put Michigan in there. Michigan, I would have it at six. I've got them right, right on the, knocking on the door. They, I think they're going to be really good too. And I'd have Duke, I think, right behind Michigan. Um, and UCLA, I think maybe a little bit overhyped. Again, we should have had their tournament spot, but whatever. I don't. I think Johnny Juzang is going to be overrated this year. That's my bold take on, on UCLA. It's not Johnny Juzang season, Dan. It's Jaime Hawkes season. It's Jaime Hawkes. Out there. Oh, dude, I, I love Jaime Hawkes. I mean, sorry, my daughter's there. Um, but anyways, yeah, <laughs> I know. She's kind of distracting me here. But, um, no, you know I'm a Mick guy, uh, 100% Mick through and through, so – um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't see UCLA, UCLA living up to the preseason expectations, not to say that, you know, they're not going to be a team you want to see in March, um, you know, with that experience, but I, I still love Johnny Juzang, but, um, I, I feel like he did get very, very, like very hot in the tournament last year. And that's hard to keep up for an entire season, but, um, yeah, well, we'll see what happens. I'm not going to ignore the West coast this year. I know that. 
Yeah, the, the thing that worries me about Juzang, and, and I'll promise I'll end on this, is those shots that he was making during the tournament run, a lot of those were heavily contested. Like like super yep. impressive shots, crazy. But a lot of times when you have a guy that goes on a crazy run where he's making a bunch of shots but not getting a ton of separation, it's just kind of a crazy run. Like I, I won't be shocked at all if he comes back down to earth just a little bit this year. Um, just because I don't, he, he's not that type of guy. He's not the guy who creates a ton of separation and can beat you a number of different ways. But man, it was a hell of a run last March for sure. Uh, this Saturday, I'm excited about Louisville Clemson, even despite the, the growing apathy around the program. We got Breeders' Cup going on at the same time too. It should be a good sports weekend. We got World Series tonight. It's still a fun time of the sports year. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, as down as I am about certain things, I mean, Volleyball's chasing a national title. The women's basketball team is really good. Field hockey's chasing a national title. There's certainly things that I'm, I'm still very, very excited about. You probably shouldn't, couldn't have noticed that with the tone of the podcast, but I'm going to blame it on, you know, having eight hours of sleep over the last week or so. But do you have a, a Dan in the dump story for this week, Dan? Um, yeah. So I, we, uh, I don't know how many people are aware of this. We, we had a dog, or I guess you could say had a dog. Um, for like the last eight and a half years and when our daughter Mallory was born um my parents kind of just they took our dog her name's Pippa she's like a um uh, a hound mix if you really want to look up what she looks like her the term for it is called a harrier um but anyways a uh, real sweet good looking dog um but she's a little bit of a handful so my parents took her off our hands when we had our third child and they're like we'll watch her for a couple weeks um and this was last may may of 2020 well she still hasn't come back so obviously (laughs) um she is loving life at my parents house they give her all the attention in the world um you know she she loves it there it's a lot better than being in our house even though our kids do miss her a little bit um but um my my parents called this weekend and said that she was not doing very well. Um, she had been, you know, not getting off the couch, not walking. She's like, uh, nine going on 10. So she's kind of reaching those years where stuff like this starts to happen. Um, luckily, you know, after running blood work and stuff, uh, she's kind of bounced back here the last couple of days, which is great. Um, so I think we're in the clear for right now, but it, it, it got me to thinking of a story. Um, so when we were in high school, when we played on uh, Trinity's JV high school baseball team, we had a game out in it was uh, it was South Oldham or North Oldham. I don't remember um, which Oldham County it was, but uh, it was a Saturday morning game, just like the biggest like you'll never remember this game. Nothing significant <laughs> happened like the rest of your life. Um, but anyways, like I I, I didn't I, I didn't play that much, but I ended up starting that game. Well, the night before, our dog, we had a black lab named Griffy, um, and Griff had ran away from home. So, like, I was, like, sulking, and I was, like, telling you guys, like, God, Griff ran away. I, I don't I don't think we're going to gonna find him. Well, anyways, I dedicated the game to my dog, Griffy. And so, like, when I first did bat, when I went up to bat, I, like, called time, and I, like, took one foot out of the batter's box, and I bent over, and I wrote the letter G with a finger in the batter's box before I batted. And I remember looking over the dugout, and you guys were absolutely dying. And then the last, the last, uh, out of the game I was in right field it was a fly ball to me and I caught it and I put the ball in my back pocket like we had just won the world series and I like pointed up to the heavens for grippy it's like turns out uh we got a call right after the game that someone had found the dog so um yeah griff ended up staying with us a a little bit longer but uh I I just remember (laughs) I remember it was like the hardest you've ever laughed. You're dying. I was like, this one's for Griff. I I was like, I stole the game ball. Um, but yeah, that's my uh, day on the dumps. Two things. Uh, it was actually freshman year, and I was freshman year. That's right. It was, I believe, North Bullet. Uh, we were playing one of the Bullet okay. County teams. But the, I mean, you. It's funny that you you bring the story up because I just watched the clip. It's the the five year anniversary of the Cubs winning the World Series. You literally did the Anthony Rizzo, where he like catches it and puts it in his back pocket, as if it's some sort of like like you thought it was gonna be like this like big keepsake, like you're ready to go home and put it on your shelf. I mean, it was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. I just remember you calling time, and you draw that G, and I, I was like, 
is he really doing what I think he's doing? It's like he came back. I was like, did you write a G in the dirt? Like, yep. It's like, what'd you do in the bet? It's like, uh, and there's a 95% chance I popped up to either second or shortstop. I was just saying, I was like, it had to be to pop out the shortstop. That was the, that was the tan zone. Oh yeah. my God. That was, yeah. It was, it was really, really funny. Fuck. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't have anything to add to that. Wonderful story. Uh, yeah. I, I haven't even checked. I don't know if we have any new reviews. If you've left a new review in the last couple of weeks, uh, we'll read it on the next podcast. I don't have it pulled up. We do encourage you to subscribe to the podcast. Uh, give us a, a rating. Leave us a review to encourage you to do that. We love to read the reviews on the air when we're uh, recording these podcasts. It's also the easiest way to find out when a new episode hits. Uh, just wherever you can find podcasts, search Card Chronicle, hit subscribe. Boom, you're done. Uh, we've got, again, more hoops tomorrow night. And then a week from tonight, we'll have the actual first game of the U.S. basketball season. I'm excited about that. Excited about Clemson on Saturday. Excited about everything that's going on. This is one of the best times of the year when you've got all the sports overlapping for that glorious uh, month or two period, depending on whether or not the, the football team plays in a bowl game. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. We'll have a whole lot of coverage. I'm hopefully going to have more sleep at some point in the relatively near future. We'll have a new pod before. We need to do like a whole... Uh, preview podcast for the basketball season. Maybe we can do that before next Tuesday. I don't yes. know. Again, let's see if I can get some sleep. Let's see if we can, if we can figure anything out. That's that's first on the to-do list. But we'll be talking to you guys at some point between now and then. Until we do, go Cards. Go Cards.